Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our CPR series looks at certain topics that come up in life, and we attempt to discuss them in a way that relates to everyone. At times, we bring in the arguments of those opposed to the Word of God in order to practice contending for the faith that God gave His Church. It is our prayer that you will be equipped to give a defense for the truths of the Christian faith with humility and respect. Welcome back to the Burden and Blessing podcast. We continue with our CPR Skeptic series. Again today, Pastor Mark Tiefel and Pastor Neil Radical are here with you today as we discuss a timely topic for this post-Easter season of the many different theories that have been advanced about Jesus' resurrection or supposed resurrection, as some people will say from their skeptical viewpoint. Today, we're looking at, Mark, the swoon theory. I hope that you're doing well today. Would you like to take us through a little bit of that theory in itself for what you know? Yeah, good to be here with you, Neil, to talk about this. As you mentioned, there are many different theories from the skeptic point of view about the resurrection of Christ to try to discredit it. The Bible tells us quite plainly that if you can discredit the resurrection, then nothing else in the faith matters. So it's not surprising that this one teaching would be under attack from multiple angles. But the most popular theory to try to discredit the resurrection is the swoon theory, which essentially is that Jesus simply fainted on the cross and was resuscitated in some way in the tomb and was therefore never actually dead. So it's not just an attack against the resurrection, but it's first of all, an attack against the death of Jesus. Yeah, I think you made a good point there. If you can discredit the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not risen, your faith is in vain. And so ultimately, how do we see the difference between the skeptic or the Christian who's just struggling with that aspect of their faith? Can you answer both with the same kind of direction? Well, I think that typically the skeptic is going to come from the area of not wanting to believe it to be true. Whereas the the believer who struggles with a question might just be seeking greater clarity, might be looking for more answers from God, might be just trying to strengthen and enhance their faith. So I'm not sure if that was what you were getting at with that question, but um, I think obviously both Christians and non-Christians alike can have questions about this, but I do think they come from different areas. I guess my main point of that thought would be, is there a way that we can answer both the skeptic and the Christian with the same responses to this point. I suppose the, the, the main focus on that question is, are we going to be answering them differently? And I think you would really answer that in that sense of it's their approach, it's their attitude, and it one might be investigating to, to learn, to have their faith strengthened, and one might just need to be corrected and their skepticism uh, counteracted in that way. And so my hope is that in our discussion today is that we can come up with some responses to this swoon or this fainting theory about Jesus death and resurrection that would help equip the person who is doubting or help contradict the one who is attacking yeah I totally agree yeah definitely I think that the 
elements of God's word that we're going to talk about in this topic will help both the Christian who's struggling to understand this, but also the skeptic who's doubting it for sure. Well, let's, let's dive in a little bit. We know that the Lord has given us a logical and reasonable brain, but at the same point in time, if we know that we're talking about a miracle, we're talking about a supernatural act. So certainly Jesus' resurrection would be a miracle, a supernatural act of God. And in order to explain someone that Jesus died and rose from the dead, really this whole theory is basically saying that Jesus never died. So let's talk about that. Let's explore a little bit more. So a lot of times people ask the question, well, how long was Jesus in the grave? Is there a chance that he could have slipped into a coma and then woke up? Any thoughts on that? I don't think that that's, obviously that's the first place to start. So even let's take, let's, let's assume from a hypothetical standpoint that nothing traumatic even happened to Jesus. I mean, we're just, let's just set aside the whole area of crucifixion, which we'll get to in a moment. But even if Jesus was an absolute, complete normal health, according to the biblical record, he enters the tomb. He's wrapped in linen in multiple layers and spices. Uh, He's put in the tomb on a Friday evening and he does not come out as far as anyone can tell until Sunday morning when the tomb is opened. So the, the tomb at that time, according to Jewish culture, they would have these sort of cave-like areas where you would put a body in while the body is decomposing. And then once the body would decompose, they would be put into what would be more considered a sarcophagus or a, a casket of some type for an actual burial. So the tomb was not the final burial resting place, but it was simply the first stage of burial. And with these tombs were basically carved out of the hillside. The Bible describes for us that it was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb uh, near the place where Jesus was crucified. Uh, And so it's, it's a cave like structure. It's quite large in that sense. And then it's the, the entrance of that area would be, Uh, covered by a large stone. And we're told very clearly from the biblical record that the stone was rolled over the entrance of the tomb. So you have some difficulties already with that. If Jesus just fainted and needed to be resuscitated, well, he would have to be able to do that on his own. How does he break through the strips of linen cloth that he's been, that have been wrapped around his body? How does he open the tomb with this large stone. And again, no light inside. Think about that. We're used to electricity, but there's somebody inside a tomb. You're going to have a really hard time feeling their way around to know where things are at. On top of that, the Bible adds to us that the Jews were so worried about this very idea uh, that somebody would steal his body away or some sort of hoax would, would happen that they wanted Pilate to post a guard. So Pilate did that and also sealed the tomb, we're told, which involved securing the stone at the entrance even more, and then also putting the actual seal of the Roman governor on that tomb, so that if anyone broke the door open without permission, it would break the seal, and therefore they would be in violation of the Roman government. So that's another part where the the tomb was sealed from the outside, how would Jesus possibly be able to open that from the inside, especially with a guard that is stationed there 
without breaking that seal. So this is all before we even factor in the impact of the crucifixion itself, just from a logical perspective with all the details we have, how it would even, even in perfect health, it would have been impossible for Jesus to be able to do this on his own. Well, and the fact that the way they wrapped him up, if you've ever been wrapped up in a blanket, you're not really getting out of there if you're stuck, you know? So that's a good point. You know, if uh, someone just mentioned to me the other day that had gone over to Jerusalem and, you know, maybe we can't trust for sure what, how large the tomb was, but, you know, it's a very small room. It's not, it's, you said it's, it's a large room, but it, compared to like a regular casket, obviously, but it's yeah. not a huge space. So even if he's in there 36 hours, the oxygen, as ex- example, is also going to be something to factor in, you know, what does he have to actually breathe in there? not to mention he's wrapped up in these linens as well. So yeah, even if a perfectly healthy person was placed in that tomb, you're going to have challenges getting out of that or even getting out of your wrappings and out of the tomb itself. It's good. Yeah. That's a good point. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about the crucifixion itself then. So with the wounds as well that he had, how would that even escalate the fact that Jesus just fainted and they put his body in the tomb? Yeah, and this is this is what I think is the really a, a key piece of information in addressing this theory, because we know from the Bible there were multiple people that witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, there are even secular accounts that talk about that event happening. So the fact that Jesus sustained great trauma and injury to his body, and even that he died, is not even really debatable at this point, even according to the secular account. So I think that's really important to understand because this whole theory is built on the idea that Jesus wasn't even dead to begin with, which is just, you know, not even fathomable when you consider all the information. But according to the biblical record, let's, th- let's think about the crucifixion for a moment and the impact on Jesus's body. If we look at all of the events leading up to the crucifixion, the most logical understanding that we have is that the last time Jesus slept was Wednesday evening because on Monday, Thursday evening, he celebrated the Passover instituted the Lord's supper with his disciples. Then they went immediately to the garden where they prayed all night. His disciples slept. He did not. Uh, And then he was arrested in the garden, the betrayal from Judas, and then taken to the high priest for questioning and interrogation. So Jesus had, by the time Jesus is on the cross, he has been up for over 24 hours at least. And anybody who's done that before knows the, the physical toll that that takes on a person's body. So you have, you have that element of it. The other, the other part of it is the severe trauma physically and mentally of being interrogated like that, being whipped, flogged, um, mocked, yep, beaten. And then obviously crucified, that is unbelievable trauma uh, upon the body. Anybody who's, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's safe. You mentioned the flogging or the scourging with the whip and the the pieces of bone or fragments, you know, that would pull off flesh. You know, that trauma itself, people often died from that. You know, it was their punishment, but the Romans didn't care if someone, you know, they're, they're, carrying out a punishment if someone died and someone died you know they didn't they weren't worried about that but besides all the beating besides all the crown of thorns there's a huge loss of 
blood. So the fact that Jesus even made it to the cross without dying in and of itself is pretty uh, amazing with all that he endured even before he was nailed to the cross. Absolutely. And that's important to point out because the proponents of this swoon theory say that, well, look at the Bible. It even says that people were surprised that Jesus died so early uh, in the cross. You know, Pilate was surprised. The Romans were surprised that he was already dead, that he didn't need to break his legs. Um, so a lot of people think, well, maybe he was given some concoction in the wine and gall that he drank that sort of uh, paralyzed him on the cross to make it look like he was dead. And then they took him off. So that's really one of the main things that this theory is built on. But when you look at the overall record, the way that Jesus was treated before the crucifixion was different than it was for the other, the two other thieves who were crucified with him. And that, yeah, that trauma of the flogging and the interrogation upon the body uh, would certainly have hastened death. Uh, by the time Jesus got onto the cross. And like you said, in, in all actuality, it's quite an astounding thing that he was still alive at that point, given the impact that that would have had on his body. Well, and the Romans too, really, again, they're just, the executioners are carrying out what they do every, all the time. You know, this is their, this is their job. So that whole piercing of his side, you mentioned the other thieves, others on the cross, their bones being, their legs being broken. It's, speed up the suffocation process would, would make it go quite quickly and them realizing they didn't need to do that because they already saw that he was dead and then double checked it triple checked it you might even say with the spear and then that indicated too with the blood and water coming out that his body had already his blood had already coagulated in some medical terms you could think of it in that way and that that blood and water came out said that he was already dead in that sense so you have the the executioner is going an extra step to show that he truly died. So, and again, if we're going back to Jesus got woke up from the coma in the tomb on his own, how would he endure all that trauma to his body? The spear, the nails, the, the beating, the scourging, the, the crown of thorns. There's really no way to say that he survived all of that injury. And then the being wrapped and then the lack of oxygen in the tomb all these things just point to the fact that no, Jesus really did die. So I want to shift this a little bit to the scriptural ramifications if Jesus didn't really die. In order to do that, I want to look at a verse from Hebrews 9. I want to hear your thoughts on this verse specifically. So I'm going to read this verse from Hebrews 9. It's verse 22. I want to hear how you think this also plays into what happened if Jesus didn't die. So Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So one can make the argument here that, well, Jesus obviously shed his blood. But when you look at the Old Testament sacrifices, it wasn't just the shedding of blood. It was the death. It was the sacrifice that was atoning through that blood and pointing ahead to the promised Messiah's atonement. So I guess I kind of shared my own thoughts with that first, but do you have any follow-up comments to that? Yeah, I think you answered it perfectly. I think that's a, a, a really good passage to state the scriptural side of it. In fact, in our Lenten uh, study this past uh, Lenten season here, just a month ago, we actually had one of our midweek services. We focused on the blood aspect of 
the atonement of Christ that a lot of people will look at that and say, well, isn't that a little graphic and gory by God? Is that really necessary that, that he would have to have his own son do that? Couldn't God have atoned for sin a different way? And what God was doing there was fulfilling what the payment for sin demanded. And all that Old Testament imagery from the Old Testament was depicting that, keeping the people's focus and remembrance upon that this is a graphic thing. Sin is a distortion of the world. It's a it, sin is a gory thing, and it needs to be handled in a, in a like way. Um, and I would add to that: remember what God warned Adam and Eve of when that when first when when before sin entered the world, and God was warning Adam and Eve about not violating the law. He said, "If you do this, you will surely die." And so the payment for sin demanded that that the what sin brought into the world was covered. And so it was the death of Jesus was absolutely necessary to pay for our sins because that's what sin brought into the world. It brought death into the world. And, and that's why Jesus endured it, not because God was cruel or vindictive or is a psychopath and takes us out on his son, but that's what sin brought into the world's death. And isn't that the greatest foe that threatens us as humans that we think about all the time is the impending reality of death? Well, Jesus had to go through everything that we would go through to pay for our sin, to cover our sin. And that's what Hebrews brings out so beautifully in connecting the Old Testament with the fulfillment of Jesus in the New Testament is that Jesus endured everything for us. In fact, more than we would have to cover being even forsaken by his father, something that none of us have endured. Jesus had to uh, see that through on the cross as well as part of this payment for sin. So it's absolutely necessary that Jesus would have to die in order to atone for our sins. So just as, as the Bible depicts that without the resurrection of Christ, our faith is futile. So also we could say the same thing about the death of Christ. If Christ had not died, then that certainly would uh, make our faith void and, and nullified as well. Yeah, well said. I, I want to throw you a curveball with another verse, though, that might be used as an argument against what God said that Jesus would rise and that he actually died. So in Psalm 16, David is speaking about one could argue his own resurrection. And towards the end of that Psalm, he says, therefore, my heart is glad, verse nine and 10, my glory rejoices, my flesh also will rest in hope. And then this very important verse, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. So I don't want to assume that if Jesus died, his body would start to deteriorate. But here it sounds like David is prophesying that Savior would not die because his body would not see corruption. How would you respond to that? I guess I would look at it. I, I haven't I haven't studied that one point of this psalm in depth. I, I know that this psalm is prophesying of the resurrection of Christ. So I would say I would look at it from more of a broad sense or, or a holistic sense that Jesus' body, this is the promise that Jesus' body would not remain in the grave, would not, would not be relegated to decay and, and death in that sense. But obviously it's not saying he didn't die. It's saying his life would not be abandoned to Sheol. It would not, it would not be relegated to that. Sheol is sort of that Hebrew concept for the place or the realm of the dead, often translated the grave. Not, not, it's not, not a word used for hell, 
So what, what it's really saying there is it's giving proof that this is not going to be the end of Jesus. This is not going to be the last thought in his record. He will rise again. And I, and I think that's the hopeful note of Psalm 16. But obviously, if Jesus died for, those, for that moment, those days that his, that his body was dead, certainly I think we would expect that the effects of decay would take, would take place on his body, but then that would be restored through his resurrection. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's talking about in an absolute sense, but from a broad perspective, decay would not be the end of Jesus' story when it came to his death. And I think that brings us really well full circle because you had mentioned earlier when we first started that when it came to Jesus' body in the grave, they had this custom where after a year or so the, the body would deteriorate the bones and they would take the bones out and then put it into a more of a sarcophagus rather than being in a, a tomb. That wasn't always the case, but that would often happen. So in your explanation of Psalm 16 here, your point is that that's not going to happen to Jesus' body because he's going to rise from the dead. David's prophesying that. I think that's really well put, Mark. You know, in a summary, I would think, you know, three points we could look at with this is what we've been trying to do is, number one, we talked about logically, the logical argument about Jesus even being able to wake up from a coma or from fainting in this swoon theory idea that he fainted after he was on the cross and they buried him and then he woke up, even if someone was perfectly healthy, be able to get out of those grave cloths and be able to get out of the grave itself and get past the guards, impossible. Ultimately, what we see here is that when you add in the crucifixion and the beatings and the, the whipping and the scourging of Jesus, how he didn't die even earlier from all that he endured with the cross and the spearing aside is, is, a, is remarkable. He was already dead when they speared aside, obviously. So you have that aspect to bring to that also this idea of him fainting and coming back to life in the grave and getting out. And then ultimately the scriptural ramifications of not believing that Jesus actually died really hinders our understanding of the gospel promise in the first point about the, the purpose of Jesus actually dying on the cross to make atonement for our sins as Hebrews and the New Testament writers, even the Messianic prophecies of what the Messiah would do really have to be bared, bared to light. And ultimately it goes back to your very first point. If you can prove that Christ didn't really die, then where is our atonement for sins? And then the point that you also made is if you can prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, as we saw from first Corinthians 15, then what hope do we have in our own resurrection? But again, we trust and we believe the authority of God's word that Jesus did really truly die. Those who witnessed that, the executioners, the disciples, the Jews and Pharisees who went away beating their chest because of what they had done was also confirmed by the witnesses that saw his resurrection as well. So we have multiple eyewitness accounts from both his death and resurrection to prove that Jesus did in fact do what he claimed to do when he came to take away our sin and defeat death itself for us. Any closing thoughts? No, I think that was a great summary and hopefully our listeners understand how impactful this is for our faith and how important it is to have an answer to some of these questions. And hopefully this podcast helped. I pray so as well. Thank you for joining us this week in our skeptic series podcast. Look forward to 
future podcasts, Lord willing, where we continue to make arguments and discussions against those that would question or question the authority of God's word. May the Lord bless and keep you in this continuous Easter joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Have a great day. We hope that you will join us next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast. Our goal is always to bring you the whole counsel of God. Until next time, go in the strength of the Lord and preach the word.